All right. Well, good morning. Grab your Bible. Open it to Romans chapter 11. Uh, I'm loving going through Romans. I hope you are too. And uh, just a quick reminder that we are launching into our third session of Romans coming up. We're getting ready to read it for the third time. And I hope that you are excited about that as well. Last week, we talked about how you can grab some stuff at the next steps area. And there are also some bookmarks on the chairs for you. And that's the next way that you can study through the book of Romans, which is um, in the back of your little journal that we passed out as we started to study through the book of Romans, there's uh, like some note pages. And they're just blank pages. And you could take your bookmark. And what we did is we put a, a verse connected to each chapter And you can write out that verse in the back of your notes section and then respond with the two discipleship questions to that verse. What does God want me to know today and how does God want me to live? So this will be the third way. So you'll read chapter one, write that verse out in the back of your journal and then answer those two discipleship questions. I hope that'll be great and I hope it'll be helpful for you. Um, One of the things that I'm loving about continuing to reading through Romans is just how the Holy Spirit opens my heart and my mind to something new every single time I read the chapter again. And I notice something afresh. And isn't that awesome about God's Word? It's so complex and real and living that you get something new every single time you read it, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. So I'm going to jump in, all right? Let uh, Let me just say a short prayer as we transition to the message. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for your word. Thank you so much that you are at work in us and that, Holy Spirit, you are helping us live for Jesus every single day. Would you open our hearts and our minds to chapter 11 and what you want to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have you um, ever noticed that relationships are sometimes complex and difficult. Anybody else besides me? One thing that's interesting about relationships is they can be the most difficult thing in one moment and the most rewarding thing in the next moment. Relationships with parents and kids are complex. Marriage relationships are complex. Anybody have an awkward relationship with a boss or a coworker? Maybe you have a complex relationship with a family member right? Don't raise your hand. I'll just do it for all of us. How about that? How about God? Do you ever feel like your relationship with God is just really complex? That sometimes it feels difficult because God is hard to fully understand and comprehend because he's God and he's so different from us. And we're created in his image, but sometimes we let everything else besides his image define us. And so we define ourselves by our culture and the world around us and our selfish ambitions and our sinful nature. And as a result, it muddies our relationship with God and just makes it challenging and complex. I've learned that when it comes to our relationship with God, that there's God's part and there's our part. There's what God's doing and there's what I'm doing, what I'm called to do. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Like, you know, like 50% God and 50% me. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm thinking. 
I think my relationship is like 99% God and 1% me. So what do you mean by that? You mean you don't have to hardly do anything and God does everything? Well, think about it for a minute. Isn't that kind of what's happened? Think about what God has done for you. First of all, the chair you're sitting in and the planet that you're spinning on was created by God. He created it and everything in it and everything on it and everything we enjoy and everything we do in this world is all because God created it. And not only did he create it, but he sustains it. He keeps it going. He keeps it functioning. He makes sure that, we, that one minute we don't just spin off our axis and fly into the sun. Who stops that from happening? God does. So God is the creator and the sustainer of this planet and of the universe. The Bible says God so intricately knows you that he created you and placed you in your mother's womb. And he knew that before the creation of the world. The Bible is clear that God died for us and came back to life to secure our eternity and heaven for us. God poured out his Holy Spirit to help us live for Jesus, honor God's word, have gifts and fruit that honor him. He's given us an inheritance in heaven. He blesses us daily with provision physically and spiritually. He restores our soul when we are weak. He gives us peace when we are anxious. And he will return to take his church to heaven and he will judge all things and make them right. I don't know about you, but it sounds a little bit like God has done, is doing, and is nearly doing everything for me. See, here's what I've discovered. And it's the main point of my message this morning. And it's this, that God always does his part. Have you noticed that? God always does his part in my relationship with him. In your relationship with him, God is always doing his part. And we need to do our part. And I think that's a little bit what Romans chapter 11 is like. In Romans chapter 11, the apostle Paul is going to talk mostly about that God's always doing his part and a little bit about our part. And what he's going to do, he's going to use this example of the chosen people of God, the Israelites, to reveal that God has always done his part for them and he will continue to do his part for the Gentiles, you and I, even if we choose to walk our own way sometimes. Even if we choose not to do our part. God's been doing this with the Israelites for a long time. And Paul wants to remind the Gentiles that God has been sovereignly working in the lives of his chosen people from the beginning of time. Even when they turned away from God, God was working. When they hated God, God was working. When they were living in every evil practice, in every horrible, disobedient thing that you could possibly imagine to God's word and to God's grace, God was still there doing his part. Now, Paul shows this to the Gentiles in Rome, and he shows it to us today, to remind us that we are now part of this family. We've been grafted in, as he will call it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we're part of the family of faith now. And God, that means that God will continue to be faithful to you. And God will continue to be faithful your entire life. But Paul's going to add just a little bit of the explanation as well and say, but let's 
not be like the Israelites. Let's not choose to be disobedient all of our lives. Let's not choose to cheapen God's grace. Let's not choose to not live in God's grace. Let's choose to be different. Let's choose to always say yes to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to be connected to God in relationship with him. Now, Paul says this in many ways, and it would take us several hours to look through all of chapter 11. So I'm just going to look at three little sections. So look at them with me, and I'm going to start in verse 1. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham, from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now God, or the Apostle Paul launches his, his chapter with a question, which I don't know if you've noticed this, but that's been a theme of Paul's, hasn't it? to launch the chapter with a question. And here he does it as well. Did God reject his people? Or has God been unfaithful to his people? Now, it's kind of a rhetorical question because the answer is no. And what Paul starts the chapter off with is God's part. That God's part is that he is always faithful. This is what God does. He is always faithful. Now, Paul does two things. He gives us two examples. The first one is himself. Paul says, God has been personally faithful to me, an Israelite. That's who I am. My, my heritage is I am an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, and I want to tell you that God was faithful to me. And if we remember the story, it's pretty powerful, right, that God was faithful to Paul? Because what was Paul doing while God was being faithful to him. He was killing his people. <laughs> while God was always doing his part, Paul was killing the Christians. He was killing the people that were believing in Jesus. And Paul says, I want you to know that while I was killing Christians, while I was their worst enemy, God was doing his part and he was faithful to me. And so if you have this question about whether or not God can be faithful to you, look at my life. I was the worst, and he was faithful to me. He'll be faithful to you. And then he says, but let me remind you about a really bad time in the nation of Israel. In fact, it was a horrible time in the nation of Israel. It was during one of their lowest times of, as a nation. Take, take just a minute and, and look back, Paul says. The nation was so evil and was choosing to live their lives out of God's best for him. The nation was at such a low place. It looked really bleak. It was so bad that Elijah said, I think I'm the only believer in the entire country. Now, can you imagine that for a minute? Just for a moment, think. If you, were the, if you thought in your human mind, I am the only Christian in the United States, how low would our country be if you were the only Christian? It'd be pretty low. 
And Paul says, I want to remind you, there was this time in Israel's past when the nation was so bad, was so disobedient to God that Elijah thought he was the only one. And God's answer to Elijah is, no, Elijah, that's not true. I'm faithful to others as well. In fact, there's 7,000 other people that I'm being faithful to, and you and those 7,000 people are going to turn the nation around. If you'll stand in my faithfulness, if you'll believe in my faithfulness, you'll see it change. But that doesn't negate the part that sometimes you may feel alone. Sometimes you may feel alone. You may feel alone at work. You may feel alone in your family. Maybe you're the only one living for Jesus in your neighborhood. Can I encourage you? God will be faithful to you. Can I also encourage you that this is why the local church is so important? This is why it's so important for us today when we see our nation and our world going directions that are disobedient to God, that we stay connected as the local church. That the relationships that we form in the church and in the body of believers with brothers and sisters in Christ become extremely important. And I hope that you're doing that. I hope you're developing those relationships. And I hope that relational environments within the body of Christ, within our church at Cheney Faith Center, are what you allow to grow and what, what are important to you in this life. So Paul begins the chapter by reminding us that God always does his part. He was faithful to Israel in, the darkest time, in their darkest times. He was faithful to Paul in his personal life. And he'll be faithful to you in your life. I want to jump to the next little section. We're going to jump down to verse 22 to 24. And look at it with me. You can look at it on the screen or you can look at it in your Bible. But I want, to, I want us to look at God's part and our part in verses 22 to 24. It says this. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut from the wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. Now here's what we notice. There's God's part and there's our part. God's part is to be kind and severe and he grafts us in. We'll talk about that in a moment. Our part is to be obedient and to trust. Now, let's look at this a little bit more in depth because these verses are right in the middle of an agricultural illustration. And you kept hearing this phrase about being grafted into a tree and you're probably thinking, what is the tree? And what is he talking about, about grafting them in? And what does this have to do with my relationship with Jesus right now today in 2021? I don't understand at all. Well, grafting was this agricultural process, and by the way, still is an agricultural process, um, where you take 
the root and the trunk of a tree and you change the branches. This, this still happens today. Apple farmers still do it. If Fuji apples are the big, hot-growing thing, and they got a Fuji tree, and the next year, Golden Delicious are, are a better price, and they're going well, they'll cut the branches of the Fuji off and graft in a Golden Delicious. Now, I don't know if that excites you or not, whether you're a Fuji or a Golden Delicious person, but here's what happens. This grafting process where you take a branch, you cut out a hole in the trunk of the tree, and you stick the branch into the hole, and then you secure the branch to the tree with rope or twine or whatever until the branch actually becomes part of the tree. It actually grows into the tree. The tree gives it its nutrients. It becomes alive. That branch thrives and grows and continues over the decades and be just becomes a part of that tree. And you say, Pastor Mark, it's still not making sense to me. Well, let me help. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was always referred to as an olive tree. It was an illustration that God used in prophetic utterances, in Old Testament theology and the idea. The Israelite people understood this idea that God was the gardener and they were the tree and God would always take care of them. But Jesus came along and said, there's going to be times where I cut some branches off because they're dying and disobedient. And not, they don't even really want to be a part of the life of the tree anymore. And so what Paul says here is this, that God is both kind and severe. And then Paul says, let me, let me tell you how God is kind and severe. Since the olive tree represents the people of Israel, and was now expanded to include the Gentiles that would believe in Jesus Christ and enter into relationship with God by faith. Thus, they have been grafted into the tree and into relationship. See, the tree meant the relationship that God had with Israel. And Paul is saying that you Gentiles, you've now been grafted in. God made a place for you. He made a place for you to be in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's how God is kind. Now, how is God severe? God is severe because the way you got grafted in is by pulling a Jewish part of the branch out. <laughs> so why would he pull a Jewish part of the branch out? Simple. Verse 11 says this. Rather, because of their transgression... Israelites' transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Say, what, did, what transgression did the Israelites do to get removed from relationship with God, to make their branch unhealthy, to make it dead? Well, their transgression is this, ignoring Jesus as Messiah. See, the Jewish culture was ignored Jesus as Messiah. And as ignoring Jesus as Messiah, they ignored salvation. They ignored the new covenant that we have in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is, when you look at the, the totality of Romans, right? Those who continue to trust in Moses and in the law to save them 
are missing out on relationship with God because they ignore that Jesus is the Messiah. And so if you are going to ignore that Jesus is the Messiah, then I will remove you severely from the root of the tree and I will graft in someone else that wants to believe in Jesus Christ. Now this is both kind and severe at the same moment. As a result, as a result of the Jewish individual disobedience, God breaks them off of the olive tree. But the good part is, is he grafts in the Gentiles. He grafts in you and me. And so now we sit here with really 2,000 years of Gentiles coming to believe in Jesus Christ because of the kindness and the severity of God in his willingness to graft us into relationship with God. This is God's part. Now Paul also tells us about our part. Our part is obedience and trust. Now obedience reveals what we think. Obedience reveals what we think and what we believe is important in our life. It's, it's not just blind agreeance to some improper authority in our life. Obedience is a conscious decision to obey and follow someone that we know loves us and wants what's best for us. Now, just for a moment, follow me because I believe obedience has gotten a bad rap lately. Anybody else agree? I think obedience has a bad rap right now in our culture. And we now think obedience is a bad thing because the authority above us doesn't know what's best for me or especially for my selfish ambitions. And as a result, we don't want to be obedient to any authority. We've also turned it into an extremely new dangerous mindset in our culture. And I think it affects how we see God. This new dangerous concept Sounds like this. See if this corresponds with what we see happening in our culture right now today. The thought process is as follows. A couple police officers did something inappropriate. All police officers are inappropriate. I had a teacher that wasn't a very good teacher to me. All teachers are bad teachers. My parents didn't do what was right occasionally. Everything my parents did was wrong most of the time. Sound like the framework that's happening in our culture today? It is. And the enemy of our soul is using that to make us disobedient to one another, to create a really crappy society, and to make life very difficult but most importantly, the enemy of our lives is doing that because what Satan really wants us to think is, I don't like what God did sometimes in the Old Testament. Therefore, everything God did is wrong and I won't follow him. See how the enemy uses something in culture to affect people's spiritual eternity forever. Obedience has a bad rap. So the new mindset is, I don't need to be obedient to anyone or anything. But Jesus said it differently in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, 
Obey my commandments. Now that's interesting. Follow me for a second. What does Jesus connect obedience to? Love. Jesus doesn't say, I'm asking you, I'm asking you to blindly obey things that are inappropriate. Is that what Jesus says? No. He says, I want you to obey me because I love you and you love me and you know that I always do my part. And so Paul can confidently say, I want you to obey and trust God and you know why I can confidently ask you to do that? Because God always does his part. He is always kind and he is always severe. In other words, severe might be adult spanking. God will always do what's right. If you and I need a spanking, then God will do that to get us on track because he knows what's best for me. Can I tell you, can I be honest with you? If I did what Mark wants to do all the time, it would be wrong most of the time because my selfish nature would get in the way. My sinful nature would always get in the way. So the best option for for Mark in my life is to follow Jesus Christ because he will always do his part and always knows what's best for me. I don't even know what's best for myself. Anyone else agree with me? Like I don't even know what's best for me. But God does. And then Paul says, I want you to go even deeper. I want you to trust not just be obedient, but go even further. Trust God. Just go all in. Push all your chips in. Say, I'm all in, man. Here I am. Trust goes even deeper than obedience because trust is full surrender to the Lord. Trust says, I'm letting the Holy Spirit lead everything in my life. Trust means Jesus is Lord. We talked about this in, in chapter 10, right? If I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Then I will be saved. If you want some more information about that, listen to last week's message. I talked about Jesus as Lord in that message. Trust opens every area of our lives to the Holy Spirit so he can bring life and peace to our lives in the middle of this crazy world. Trust lets the Holy Spirit do and say anything he wants to say. And my response, my part, our part will always be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll obey you today. Lord, you want me to talk to my neighbor about you? I'll do it. Lord, you want me to give to that missionary who's serving you in in Uganda? I'll, I'll do it. Lord, you want me to discipline my kids this way? Okay, okay, I'll do it. That's contrary to what I know and what I understand. I, I know, but this is what's good. Okay, I'll do it. This is obedience and trust. And this is our part. Now, lastly, Paul takes us from the mountaintop to some other spiritual high place at the end of the chapter. To a spiritual high place that the New Testament church and the church for now several millenniums has known as the doxology. And it's four simple verses that try in Paul's best way to explain how you and I are different from God. And why did Paul do this? (laughs) Paul did this because he knows that sometimes we grossly overestimate our human abilities. (laughs) 
We grossly overestimate our human condition and our place in our relationship with God. And Paul reminds us in this very, very important set of New Testament verses that God is overwhelmingly awesome. Listen to them with me. Verse 34. Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory once in a while. Amen. Forever and ever and ever and ever. It's done. Amen. See, God's part is so complex, so intricate, so precise, so powerful, that there's really, what Paul says here, no way for us to even comprehend it in our human brain or heart or spirit until we get to heaven. In fact, did you know that we only use about 5 to 8% of our brain? Now think about that with me for a minute. We only use 5 to 8% of our brain and we've been able to do what we, we've done now. What might we be able to comprehend when all of our brain is functioning that way? Maybe we only use 5% of our brain right now, but when we get to heaven, we might use more and we still might not even comprehend God. See, here's what I've learned from these verses. God's part is to be awesome. My part is to just be human. But that's our problem. I've asked Julie to help me with a highly complex math equation on this dry race board. So Julie Martin's going to come. She's a math teacher at Cheney High School. Can we give her a hand real quick? She's going to help me. Now, as she prepares and writes something out here on the board, I want to tell you about our problem. Our problem is we think I won't believe in God until I can understand what he is doing, until he answers all of my questions, until I've figured out all of the details about God that I want to know about God. I don't want to have a relationship with someone I don't understand. My first question is, are you married? Do you know someone of the opposite sex? I mean, you have relationship with people you don't understand. Come on, people. Okay? Let's be honest here. But second, I'm going to say this. If the God that you think that you want to serve is a God that you can fully understand, then let me just put out there the truth. Your God is really small. If the God that you want is the one that you can make up in your human brain, in your human understanding, your God is puny. I squish him. I squish him with my finger. Squish him. Squ That's your God. My God is unfathomable. How can I even understand his depths or his riches or his judgments or his past or his mind? What can I possibly do to repay him? My God is 
has everything from him, through him. All things are coming and co- together and falling apart as we make them fall apart and he puts them back together. This is my God. He's so big. You want a God like this? I don't want to serve a God like this. I want to serve a God that's so big he can figure out what's going on in my life, with my planet, with the universe, with everything. That's the God I want to serve. Now, God made math. And I don't understand it. Anybody else with me here in the room? Okay? So Julie has put a highly complex math equation on the board that she will now walk us through. Okay, our, our goal here is to graph this polynomial function. A graph, yes. a graph is like a fingerprint. From another teacher over there. The graph's like a fingerprint. It'll be unique to this polynomial function. But because it's a polynomial function, we should know a couple of things. It's going to graph as a smooth curve, all right? No sharp points on this thing. Um, it's continuous, which means once we start graphing, we're not going to lift our pen up off the board. Uh, I can tell that it's a sixth degree. I'm going to write that down so that we don't forget. A sixth degree, right. Sixth yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Right. Okay. And this number six tells us that the graph will hit this x-axis right here less than or equal to six times, not more than six times. Uh, what we of also course. know, because it's sixth degree, is that uh, six being an even number, both ends of the graph that head off to infinity are going to go the same direction, either both up or both ends down. None of this, not odd like that. Um, okay, see that negative sign right there? That means both ends of this graph are gonna go downward. That's our little reminder. Don't forget, both ends have to go down. What else? Oh, if we did this um, kind of the tried and true way, we'd make ourselves this little table, and we'd just choose some value for x here, maybe like the number one, and plug a one in everywhere we see an x, See all those X's? We're just going to pull a 1 in. Then this side just becomes arithmetic, and you pull out your calculator and plug it in and see what you get. You get a negative 90. Pick another number, any number. Pick a number like 3, plug it in, do the, do the math, see what you get. You get 900. This is going to take a while because there's infinite points on this graph. So we need a new trick because I, Mark only gave me five minutes. So let's see if we can do this. I think the best hint that we could get is where does, where does this function hit the x-axis? That's what we want to know. Where does it hit the x-axis? Less than or equal to six times. That's a finite number, so we should be able to find this. But if we want to do it, we have to get this guy completely factored. So let's see. It's, it says, I'm going to just rewrite it differently. I'm going to sit down because I'm Negative about to Negative five faint. x squared. This, tri- this quadratic trinomial right here, I want to rewrite as a product of two linear binomials. So I'm going to rewrite this as x minus 4 times x plus 1. The product of these two things, do that little FOIL thing your teachers maybe taught you, will turn out to be exactly this. This is a difference of squares. So it will also factor into a product of two linear binomials. It becomes x plus 2 times the quantity x minus 2. Sweet. This looks different, but it's exactly the same, has the exact same fingerprint, same graph as the original. Here's what's cool. Forget this whole curvy binomial thing. Pay attention to only where this turns out to be equal to zero, and now we're in, we're in business. 
Think of two numbers, multiply them together. Did anyone get an answer of zero? If you want an answer of zero, one of the numbers you choose has to be zero. So for us, either x squared equals zero, or x minus four, or x plus one, or equals zero, or x plus two, or x minus two. One of those things has to be zero if we want to find the zeros for this function. In this case, x would have to be zero. x would have to be four, negative one, negative two, or two. What these are are ordered pairs, so just like this is right one, down 90, or right three, up 900, this is don't move left or right at all, and don't go up or down at all. This one, so let's put that point here. This one is right four, up zero, negative one zero, negative two zero, and two zero. We are ready, are you ready? Let's review. We've got a six degree, we've hit the x-axis less than or equal to six times. Both ends have to go downward. So I'm gonna start down here. Wait a minute, six. I've got five points on the axis. So there's this little magic-y thing right here, this exponent of two means our graph is gonna bounce at that point. Here we go. We're down, we cross over, cross over, bounce, down. Remember, we're going down here to negative 90, back up, up to 900, and down forever. And there you have it. I knew it all along. That's exactly what I was thinking the entire time. Thank you, Julie. Math. This is part of God's handiwork, is it not? Now, let me ask you a question. Did anyone understand how she got the answer? You did? You might be God. <laughs> no, he's not, but right? But there's probably two really smart people in the room. Did I see somebody else over here? Who was it? Jamie, oh, we should have known it was you. I got two parts. You got two parts of it, and you are a teacher. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, here's my, here's my point, right? This is just math. It's not even God. It's something he created. And by the way, what, is math, what does math do? Confuses me. Besides, besides confusing you, what does math do? Solves. Teaches, but math also teaches us what? How the entire universe is working. My tablet works because of math, because God put math in the universe. Your phone works because of math. These lights turn on because of math. Your car runs because of math. We stay on our, our, our revolving around the sun point that I can't think of scientifically because of math, right? We, all of these things happen. The tides come and go because of math. Math helps. Math is what works everything electronically and digitally today. Math that God put in place. Just a simple creation of God. Now, most of us don't even understand how she got this answer. 
And verse 33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now, I don't know about you, but she lost me at the very beginning when she started talking about six degree something. Right? She lost me at the very beginning, mostly because I'm not very good at math. But also, just for a moment, don't most of us get lost right at creation? And so we invented something else that we could think up, evolution, so that we could try to process it in our own mind because God is so unfathomable. But instead of saying God is awesome, we said, no, no, no. I got to have my part in this. Did anyone understand the entire path to get to the final answer? Like you understood all of this. No. And this is just math. And God said what? My paths are beyond tracing out. Was anyone tracking with all of the mathematical thinking that Julie was processing to get the answer? Probably not. Because verse 34 says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Now, let me ask another important question. Because I didn't understand this mathematical equation, does that mean that math doesn't work? Well, it must obviously mean that because if I can't understand everything about God, then God doesn't work, right? Just because I don't, because I don't understand something, that must obviously mean that it's not true. See, we've all been told a lie. Math does work, and it's complex, and it's challenging, and so is God. And that's what Paul says at the end of the chapter. Now, here's what's really important for us to understand. At the very end, Paul says this, from him and through him and for him are all things. Now, that statement, that verse, that statement is super important. Because what Paul is saying is this. When you and I understand this very simple yet complex thing about God, that everything, he knows everything, he sees everything, and he's doing his part, then life just changes for you. Everything in your mind and your heart and in your spirit changes because you're okay. Your worries begin to fade away. Your anxiety begins to slowly diminish. Most of your questions are answered. Our arrogance is humbled. Our problems seem so small in light of such a large God. And when we understand that we're a child of the Almighty God, the King of Kings, the Creator, the Faithful One, and that my life is safe because from Him and through Him and for Him are all things, and He loves me, I'm okay. And I don't even have to know how to do the math because I know my God loves me. Let me close with this. It's a highly complex way to understand chapter 11. So I'll try to do it in like one minute. Very complex. Let me, let me ask it like this. Why is your relationship with your dog so good? Why is your relationship with your dog so good? Let me tell you why. Because your dog 
thinks you're awesome. Your dog thinks you're awesome. And it doesn't even matter if you're not. If you forget to feed him, if you forget to pet him, you didn't give him a bath, doesn't even matter. Your relationship with your dog is so easy because your dog thinks you're awesome. He doesn't get mad at you when you don't do exactly what you want. Your dog still thinks you are awesome. Now, maybe our relationship with God would go better if we just said, God, you are awesome and I am not. God, I'll let you do your part and I'll do my part. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Lord, we thank you so much that you did not create us dogs. We're human and we're created in your image. And that means that we know so much more than just an animal. But it also, Lord, means that we need to submit our will to yours. We need to submit our life to you, not the other way around. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uncomplicate things. You tried so well, Lord, to make it simple for us. Look at me. Here I am on a cross for you. This is love. Here I am, risen from the dead for you. This is power. You made it really easy and simple for the smartest and the not so smart to figure out that you are awesome. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help every single one of us in this room, every single person watching online, hearing my voice, to understand your part and our part. God, would you help us to recognize you as awesome, as someone who's always doing your part, that you're kind and severe and you start relationship with us. Help us to recognize that you do all things and you continue to be faithful to do them because you are awesome. And help us to see our part, to obey and trust and to just be a kid. Because after all, in the end, those who follow you like a little child will inherit the kingdom of God. Yes. Help us to be good kids and nothing more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to see you. Hope you'll mingle a little bit in the comments and say hi to some people. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week. <laughs>